sometimes. The best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 263. Greetings from Druid Hills Golf Club just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm on site for the Dogwood Invitational, just getting acclimated to the club, getting ready for an exciting week of golf. As I mentioned in the last episode, make sure that you are following along on social media. Much of the content will be posted on the Dogwood Invitational's Instagram page. So hit pause, open up Instagram, and follow the Dogwood INV. That's short for Invitational, the Dogwood INV. And as always, follow the back of the range on Instagram. Lots of content coming out of Druid Hills this week for the Dogwood. My guest on this episode is Gus Barchers, the director of golf at Druid Hills. We spoke about his start in the game and the professional journey that led him to Druid Hills. We also discussed the rich history of the club and the dedication and commitment to amateur golf that the staff and membership make each and every year by hosting the Dogwood. It's the first major amateur tournament of the summer, and I couldn't be more thrilled to be here on site covering this fantastic tournament, and I'm excited to welcome Gus to the back of the range. Gus, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me, Ben. It's a, it's a privilege and an honor. We're excited about having you here, and I'm excited about doing the podcast. Well, I'm glad you're here. And again, you know, we're, we're talking just a few days out from the Dogwood Invitational, and I'm thrilled to be there as well. This is one of those amateur events that uh, is, is a highlight on the calendar for every amateur that every aspiring elite amateur that's trying to elevate their game and their exposure this is one that uh, they all have circled on their calendar and it's kind of the kickoff to that summer schedule that you know sees people sees amateurs progress throughout the summer towards a u.s amateur appearance um we're going to talk about this this historic amateur tournament talk about druid hills uh, just outside of atlanta uh, the host of the dogwood since 1941 but, uh, hey, you know the drill. You've listened to the back of the range. You know it's a rite of passage. We have to talk to the guest and find out how they got into the game of golf. So before we talk about the dogwood, let's, uh, let's, listener, let's let listeners learn a little bit more about you. I guess not only just how you got to uh, a role of director of golf at Druid Hills, but uh, when did golf first, uh, I guess, first enter your life, so to speak? Good question. Always a good question. Where it all began, right? Sure. Um, I think I it it really hit home for me. My dad built homes, and uh, my mom has a building in Boston. And uh, when I, we were a kid, we would go up to Boston, and my dad would work on the building or whatever. And every now and then, we'd go down to Rhode Island, um, and there was this little nine-hole course called Jamestown Golf Club in Rhode Island, and uh, I didn't. I, there, our property backed up to it and I didn't know anything about golf. I must've been 12, 13, maybe, maybe 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. And, uh, we were tearing down the brush one day and the brush came down. Um, and I looked out over this, you know, layering of fescue and green grass kind of striping into the distance. And I looked at my dad and I said, what is that? <laughs> and, uh, he said, uh, well, that's a golf course. And, uh, 
at that moment, I said, well, I want to do that. And I didn't exactly know what it meant. Sure. Um, and I didn't exactly know. I didn't know anything about it. Right. I just, I just knew that I wanted to, to be around it or in it or a part of it. Um, and from that day forward, I would spend, you know, my summers, I think I spent the rest of the summer finding golf balls in the, in the tall grass and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of golf balls later, I, I ended up going down to the parking lot and selling them, you know, to the to patrons of Jamestown Golf Club, you know, a dollar a ball. I remember at the time, the top flight XL 2000 had just come out. Oh, you're speaking, you're like, speaking my language, man. I mean, that's, <laughs> oh, no, wait, was this, this, what about the top flight strata? Now is that, or is that? Yeah, what? the strata, if you found a strata all of a sudden with like a, a heart or a spade on it, you know, that was a dollar golf ball at the time. There you go. And, uh, you know, I remember finding those and, and, uh, I quickly understood the, the value of what a good ball was, what a bad ball was. And I'd go down there and sell them for, you know, 50 cents a quarter, dollar a ball out of this, you know, on my bike. Um, and that lasted two or three years before I, I guess I got old enough to where it wasn't acceptable to the owners of Jamestown golf club for me to be hawking balls in the parking lot. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. uh so that's where it all all began. I think at that point, you know, they it was the type of club where, you know, you'd buy a punch card to go play. So I remember getting, you know, my parents would get me one punch card for 29 whole rounds, and those were coveted. Sure. And, you know, I, I planned out the whole summer about when, when I was going to play those rounds and how many I had left. And um, that's kind of how it all started. I think once they kicked me out of the parking lot, though, I think the next year I said, you know, I was 14. I kind of looked at my mom and was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know? And, uh, and so then I went there and I just said, well, if I can't sell balls, you know, do you have a job? And they said, yeah, you can, you can rank bunkers. So at 14, I started ranking bunkers. Uh, we had this little triplex, you know, stand pro and we get there at four in the morning and they had 81 bunkers on the golf course on nine holes and i would do the sand pro in the center you know and rake up all the edges right. and we'd be done ten. and that changed the game for me because then i could play for free and so i'd finish around mid-morning i could i could play golf there they paid me like seven dollars an hour um i could play for free and i could eat meals there for free this so is this is a dream I, for a 14 year old kid, it, it changed my life, you know? So I, uh, I played, I'd go home at 10 o'clock, you know, I, I, you know, change or whatever. And then I bike back down to the golf, uh, golf course and I would play, you know, I'd have lunch and I'd play and then I'd come in and then I'd play again. And then it would be, you know, nighttime. And I probably did that for, you know, I guess the next four or five summers, um, you know, going up and that's where it all began. And then it, 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 you know, I played most of my golf up there in the summer, but then, you know, I started playing at such a rate that, you know, I came back and when I came back to Georgia, um, for the school year, I kept playing then. Um, but that, that's the beginning. You know, what's so great about that story. And just to kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent, you know, what's so great is that, you know, you, you get started. I mean, this is a very historic course. I mean, I'm, I'm looking now, Jamestown built in 1895. It's like literally one of the oldest public courses <laughs> in the country. And right. you find your way into the game and then find a little niche of how you can finance it. 
and they could have easily <laughs> said, "Don't come back, uh, right. you know, kid, get out of here. We don't, we don't. That's not what we do here." But instead, someone said, "Hey, this kid actually is has a little bit, a little bit of a spark to him, and wants to be around the game. Let's figure out a way to to get him in here." Do you remember maybe who? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you do. Who's the one that hired you and said, yeah, we can give you a job to to foster your interest in the game? Yeah, so Jamestown Golf Club, for I don't know how long, has been run. It's owned by the city or the town, sure. and um, it's leased by the Mostowskis. And the Mostowskis have been running that um, golf course for since – I don't know, maybe 20, 30 years, but it's essentially been in the family. And um, yeah, now their son, um, I worked there when their son was like 20, you know, five or 26, you know, the cousins worked in, you know, behind the bar and, you know, selling, you know, in the shop essentially, which was just like a restaurant bar, you know, the, the son worked on the maintenance team. They had JA and they, you know, you know, there was John Mostowski who was kind of, and then the wife, um, you know, she worked there and she kind of ran the accounting for it all. All hands on deck. It was all hands on deck. And they actually had this little property just to the right of one. And, you know, um, they, so they were, they were pretty much on property all the time, but yeah. So, um, and they were, I think in the beginning, I think he was like, oh, you're one of those kids that makes my, my life harder, you know? So, um, but by the end of it, you know, the relationship was very solid and, and, you know, I could still go back to this day and say, you remember me? And they're like, yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, ba- um, so basically the story, the, the short story here, just to put a bow on it, if you want to become a director of golf at one of the most <laughs> prestigious clubs in the country, start selling golf balls in the parking lot. And this, you could be Gus Barcher someday. <laughs> I think it's, I think it is odd that uh where it all started for uh-huh. me was the business side of oh it. yeah that's what i'm getting from this too i'm thinking entrepreneur yeah. at 13 like yeah this is this is a total like the business mind is right there like, if i do this and put this in i will get act- yeah it totally makes sense um you know it didn't it didn't start from you know stripe and seven irons or my dad playing the game you know i didn't play a lot of rounds with my dad or that kind of thing. In fact, I was like the only member of the family who really, wow. you know, liked golf, thought about golf, you know, played it, you know, it was, um, so it was very, um, my own. And yeah, I think it's odd too, that it all started kind of from the business side and not from the playing side. And, and here we are. <laughs> I was going to ask you, so if some kids started selling golf balls in the parking lot of Druid Hills, <laughs> I mean, you, you have to give them a job, don't you? You have to pay it forward. Well, you know, I think, I think if he was, he managed to get through the gate. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, if he manages to get through the gate and is somehow selling, you know, top flight XLs in the parking lot, um, I would definitely have to go talk to him, figure out what his story was. Oh, but, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, I, I could see a situation where if, if you really want to be here, I could find a spot for you. That's awesome. Well, you have, speaking of finding a spot, you've had several spots along your, your professional career. Um, you know, you get a, you go into the PGM program, you know, take those steps to becoming a class A and then eventually a director of golf. But I, I think that the path was 
let's see, internship in Connecticut at Rolling Hills. Then I know there was a stint at Flagstaff. I may be jumping around here, but I, I, yeah. I know Tim Aquana in Jacksonville. I've, I've played quite a bit there. And then uh, Country Club of Columbus back to Georgia. Then you're, then now we're into Florida at Quail Creek. And now we find <laughs> our way to Druid Hills. Did I miss a spot there? Or is that pretty much the, the, the litany? Of- yeah. Yeah, no, you missed. I mean, there was a couple spots in between. I mean, um, you know, when I went to Clemson and we had a PGM program there and part of the curriculum, you know, in addition to getting your PGA class, a, you also get your, you know, your degree from Clemson. So you do it hand in hand. Um, so over the time there, you do about 17 months of internship and, uh, I spent my internships. Yeah. I spent my first one in Connecticut at Rolling Hills. I worked for Ray Ford and then I went to Dallas national and Texas. And worked for Brit there, and uh, that was an experience unlike any other. That kind of sh- shaped a lot of my thoughts um, for my next stops, and um, and then from there I worked for the first tee for one summer in Spartanburg, and uh, then I spent one summer at Greenville Country Club working there for uh, God, uh, what's his name? I want to say Eric, but Eric was at Chanticleer. God, Carl, Carl, sorry, excuse me. And uh, I worked for Carl for a year. And then I went out west because I wanted to see what that was like. And I went out west for a season. I worked up in Flagstaff, and we had a ton of fun. Um, I mean, that's if, for people that don't know, Flagstaff is Arizona, but you're 7,000 feet up. So, you know, you're talking about Pine Canyon and Forest Highlands and the Rim, um, you know, all sorts of really great golf up there. And it was awesome. My first day there is funny. I, I drove out there in April. And so the masters was on the first, I think it was like Thursday of the masters. Sure. And, uh, you know, I get up to Flagstaff and there's two feet of snow on the ground. And, uh, I just drove out there in my Jetta with like a Sears carrier on top of my stuff in it. And, uh, and we, we spent the season there, but it was cool because we, we were like, you know, I, I want to play some golf. And so people are, was just, they're like, we can play golf. And I'm looking outside and I'm like, I don't know where. <laughs> and uh, we drove about, uh, you know, I guess it was about 45 minutes through Oak Creek Canyon. And it goes and you get down into Sedona. But over that 45 minutes, you drop like almost three or 4,000 feet. And so we drive down there and it was, you know, 70 degrees and sunny. And I was like, that's pretty pretty wild you know that, yeah, that's uh, crazy that you can be this close and this separate and this different um and uh it was kind of an experience in arizona for a summer but uh yeah once i got through there i realized you know i got to get back home i got i looked at all the guys around me and i was like man you guys live a very transient lifestyle six months here six months there six months and i was like that's not for me and uh so i went to work for brian stubbs who was the section president at uh for the george section at country club of columbus and that was your classic you know donald ross 19 oh, i want to say 1909 um and, and they run the southeastern amateur there which is a great event and they've been running that forever um so that was that was cool that was my first really traditional southern golf experience and uh i was there for just over a year and then tim aquana opened up and i spent five years at tim aquana working for clint and um that probably out of all the experience I've had, most similar to Druid Hill, the Timaquana, and they've done they've done amazing things there with, um, you know, from the Timaquana Cup to just their events to the golf course itself. Alan Brown, the superintendent, I mean, uh, 
he's just a phenomenal uh, asset they have, and he's just really taken that. I I think it's it's the, one of the best golf courses you can play. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of golf courses that maybe rank higher or maybe they're top 100 or they have all these accolades, but when it comes down to just the brass tacks of what makes a phenomenal golf course, Tim Aquana is right up there. Um, yep. Couldn't agree more. Special place. They've, I think uh, they host a lot of, I mean, I know they host Florida state golf association events and uh, the, I believe it's the Underwood cup is still there. Is that right? Yeah. So I've played in a bunch of Underwood cups. Um, that was always fun. The last day of the Underwood cup. So Clayton Bromberg is, uh, he owns Underwood jewelry. And so he's been the title sponsor there since the tournament began. And uh, it, one of his favorite things is, at the end of the tournament, the last day before we do the awards and the champions, is he likes to do, um, he loves turtle soup. Oh, sure. And, and so that's always the big clincher. We would do fried chicken and turtle soup for like the award ceremony. And uh, that was always one of those experiences that made me kind of laugh. But it was one of those, you're like, well, we can't change it. You know, this <laughs> is it. Um, can't get away. No from one that. actually knows that there's turtles in the soup. I will say that. Oh, okay. We, we couldn't determine if it was actually turtle meat. They told us it was, but who knows? One of the one of the mysteries at Timaquana that may never be solved. <laughs> um, so, you know, Timaquana was a great experience. Underwood Cup was great, and then we hosted the U.S. Open sectional there. I think Sam Horsfield was the was a medalist that day. It was, that was a cool experience. You know, VJ played and. Stuart Appleby was there and, you know, you just saw a golf course, you know, you just saw what a really classic golf course can do with the right setup and, and how it presents a challenge to, you know, some of the best players in the world. And um, it was just fun getting out of the shop at six o'clock every night and playing as many holes as you could. And uh, it was a good group. That's one of the best things about, uh, about popping in or, or one of the best things I, I would imagine with your job. I know it's a lot of long hours. I mean, you know, really early mornings and, and, you know, hard work, but those special times that you get to pop out for a quick, you know, six, nine holes at five thirty, six o'clock at night during the kind of the dog days of summer, that has to be one of the, one of the highlights of your, I guess it's actually your, your, your profession it has to be one of your highlights yeah. is, is, I mean, is Tim Aquana that your favorite kind of 6 PM round of golf or, or I know it's hard to choose. It's like choosing a kid or something, yeah. but but is Tim Aquana rank right up there? Well, yeah, it ranks right up there. But I mean, I think this comes back to, I tell everybody this, right. You have instrumental value, right. Where it's quantifiable, you know, you know, the instrumental value of the job is you're compensated this, or um, you get this in return, you know, those things are easy to quantify and, and determine, you know, these, these are my reasonings on, on why I do things. And then there's, you know, your intrinsic value. And I think there's, there's a lot of different places. I think the beauty of the game is that when the shadows get really long and it's late in the day and it's the golden hour and, you know, it's just you on the, on the property, wherever it is, it could be Druid Hills, it could be Tim Aquana, it could be Hyde Park in Jacksonville. It could be all sorts of different places. And that's the beauty of the game. It can touch so many different people. Um, you can kind of take a deep breath and look up and it can be a very spiritual type moment, you know, and, and that intrinsic value, I think, um, is, is some of the things, some of the times I look forward to the most. And when I think back or whether you have a swing cue or 
you change your grip a little bit or you're working on something, whatever it may be, those are the moments where things can somewhat melt away. Sure. Um, if a golf course can transport you there, you know, and I, I, that's kind of my highest, highest value of if I'm starting to talk about golf course design um, and what makes a golf course great. I like golf courses that are transportational and you can start on hole number one and they can suck you into almost like an alternate universe of this completely different, you know, whatever is happening on the outside or whatever you're worried about at work or whatever. By the time you get to 2T, if the golf course can kind of welcome you in and, and change where you're at, um, then, then you're probably at a, a really cool place. Um, and that's what's nice. Druid Hills does that here, you know. Um, by the time you get to 2T, you're in this pocket in Atlanta that you just didn't really think was there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's tucked away in this old neighborhood and, you know, you there's North Decatur road and there's Emory and you can see that, the, you know, you can see the university just off in the distance there, but here you are in this little pocket, uh, this little sanctuary away. Um, and, uh, it's amazing because you're 15 minutes away from downtown, you know, you're 20 minutes away from the airport, but you, but you can't tell you yeah. wouldn't know. That's awesome. Uh, uh, so those are, those are the special type moments on the golf course for me, for sure. And and we're going to talk about Drew, but I want to hit on one thing, you know, there's, a, there's, like I said, and you know, this well as just about every other class A director of golf, anyone in this profession, it's just a lot of long hours. And sometimes at the end of the day, the last thing you want to do is pick up a club. You know, you've been at the, club for eight, 10, 12 hours and you're, you're just fried and just need to get out of there. But how important is it for you? Perhaps this is something you could share, uh, share advice to maybe assistant pros that are coming up in the business, haven't reached the director of golf level quite yet, but how important is it for club pros to still get out there and play, whether it's playing with members or if it's just to get out for three or four holes with maybe a couple of guys in the bag room or something, but how important is it to kind of keep playing, to keep the love of the game going. It's, I mean, it's really important. I mean, it's, 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 it's important for a lot of different reasons. Right. And there are reasons that you're not going to know about, and you, you know, the saying, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. You're not going to know how important it is to maintain a positive relationship with golf until you're in that role. Right. Because one thing you know, you have that idea as an assistant too, when you're coming up is it's going to get easier when I am the head professional right. and it will be easier when I'm the director of golf and it couldn't be further from the truth, right? It's going to get harder. You're going to care more. You're going to have more people to take care of. You're going to have a lot more rules to think about. You're going to have more meetings to go to. You're going to be at a different stage in your life. You might have children and you might have a big family. Um, you know, then they're going to have, you know, responsibilities at home and, and it's just going to become harder and harder to, you know, manage all of those things. So you, you have to build in the skills to do all those things. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'll be the first one to tell you, I'm still learning half those things. You know, I think when I meet a golf pro who's done the business, who's been in the business 20 years longer than me, you know, I think the best way to do it is, is you got to work fast. So you have extra time on the back end and you know, how you fill that time is your choice. And if you decide to fill it with golf, 
that's a good thing. And you should, you should work towards filling things with golf. And I think too, it comes, everybody went, I'm too tired to play that, that, you know, oh, it's, I'm exhausted. I want to go home, et cetera. I look at it this way. Sometimes it's not that you're tired, but more so you haven't done enough of the things in your life that charge your batteries. And golf is one of those things, right? Um, if I can play nine holes on a Tuesday, I can be that much more energized to come to work on Wednesday or to teach a lesson on Thursday. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always that. But if I go a long stint without playing golf, maybe 20 days or 30 days, it starts to wear me down. And I realize, and then as soon as I play golf, like I feel energized again. And so, um, I know that's not like that for everybody, but, uh, to me, you just got to put that, you got to put the time in to keep learning and keep progressing and keep playing in events. And you're going to play bad. If you play long enough, you're going to play bad, but you gotta, you gotta love it enough to, to get through that, you know? Well, we have, uh, we have a, a big event, big tournament coming to Druid Hills as it does every year, the, the Dogwood Invitational and, uh, you know, first of all, a club like Druid Hills that has in its history so many different accolades, but let's just start with one of them. I mean, former former club champion at the age of 13 at Druid Hills was Bobby Jones. I mean, it does not get any better and have a better tie into Amber Golf than that. But this tournament was held for the very first time in 1941. And one of the facts that I just learned a little while ago is you know, I'm obviously we both can just assume that a really big tie-in and and the the birth of this this invitational, the Dogwood, had to have been tied to the exhibition match that took place in 1941, Hogan against Nelson. So when you see history like that, I mean, it's it seems like it's destiny that you're going to have an amateur tournament uh, continue on year after year at Druid Hills. Yeah, I it's I think it I think it Druid Hills. And the history of Atlanta are are really um, they they go hand in hand. Um, a great book that oh, a member gave to me when I first got the job that I've since read and really thought about a lot of times is uh, is to uh, it's called To Win and Die in Dixie. And there's some pieces of it that some historians have said that's not completely factual, um, but it's about you know the club's first pro. Um, J. Douglas Edgar, and they kind of make it out in that book that J. Douglas Edgar was sort of Bobby Jones's first coach. And I think some true golf historians would argue that point, but the story itself is, is pretty amazing when it starts to talk about sort of the formation of Druid Hills, its founding members and who those members were and, and what they did for the city of Atlanta. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, I think sometimes you just forget, you know, in your middle, you know, you would middle of the five point game here. You just forget where it all started. But from 1941 to here, I, I think we've had like almost 14 champions or so play on tour. You know, it, it's to me, it's, it's the start of the road to the tour. If you can win here, you're really showcasing um, the ability to play out there. So uh, it's the golf course has changed, you know, a, a bunch of different times, but the most recent changes from Bob cup in 2002 to uh, Bill Bergen sort of uh, redesign here most recently. Um, 
and and then of course Joe Hollis, who is the superintendent at the club, he does such a wonderful job. I mean, the transformation this place has had from just 20 years ago um, is is mind-boggling. Um, so it's it's just all all that I can say is this event is an incredible piece of Atlanta history, and if we can continue it and make it to the best event um, in amateur golf, then then we're paying it the right amount of respect how does you're talking about the restoration of the club and and how it's or the golf course and how it's just kind of uh, you know improved and and changed a little bit with the time just to make it you know obviously uh applicable to to today's amateurs how does this golf course challenge today's elite amateurs that are obviously hitting a ball further than any course architect in the you know in 1910 could right. could ever imagine i mean you know uh, how, how does this course challenge elite amateurs of today? I think first and foremost, you look at the scorecard and you say, oh, well, we're, t- we're 68, 50, 69, you know, 69, 50 from if we do maybe 7,000, if we do back tees and back flags on every green, right? Sure. Maybe we start to crest that 7,000 number. But you, you look at the scorecard and, and, and how that yardage falls into play with most of the events they're playing, for example, how they probably set up Greyhawk. Look at how they're setting up the PGA Championship now. You know, look at how they set up Karsten Creek. It's it's just shy on the yardage standpoint for a lot of these uh, collegiate and juniors than they're used to playing. And so it gives you that interpretation when you see the scorecard that, you know, it's time to take it deep. And and I think Druid Hill's kind of in that regard, Holt, stands up to hyper aggression, right? It encourages you. Everything about the golf course encourages you for hyper aggression. Cut the corner, hit it right at the flag, you know, take that that flag on, you know, hit, you know, be aggressive, get to there that par five and two. You know, drive it on that green, you know, drive it on 16, drive it on 12. You know, we have a lot of opportunities where you can take the driver out and Theoretically, yeah, you have enough length to hit it on that surface. I think those are the situations, though, that if you look at how the final round is played versus the first two rounds or maybe even the first three rounds before we make the cut, you'll see the players that are playing hyper-aggression start to drop on that leaderboard. Sure. Um, and so you start to see the kids who are ready to win are, the I think, the kids who are patient who are managing their game well, who are attacking when they should attack, and they're also playing away when they should have played. I think for us, to me, the dogwood is a measure of maturity. Um, and, and, and that is the biggest reason why the player who wins here has the, one of the best chances to go and, and win out there. Well, past champions, I mean, there's there's so many great names uh, that have been uh, added to the list of past champions, but I mean, Webb Simpson, Swafford, Brian Harmon, uh, and and players like JT and Dustin Johnson, guys. I mean, basically, so many of the players were, were that were just completing the PGA Championship, they've played the dogwood. So, uh, you know, the, the best definitely go to Druid Hills to compete. What What is something that 
you know, the, these amateurs that get to play the dogwood, they obviously are going to be playing a lot of the other elite amateur events throughout the summer, whether it's a western, southern, sunny Hannah, northeast, you know, the, the list goes on and on. But what is maybe something that these players are going to be able to enjoy at the dogwood that's different than perhaps other events? You know, not just the golf, but what what's different about the dogwood? I think what's the biggest difference about the dogwood is I think for the for the first time in a long time, or maybe not the first time, but most recently, you know, how Joe has got the golf course running is it's it's running much harder and much faster. And inevitably that makes the golf course even shorter than it shows on the scorecard. Um but when that ball moves out there, um the golf course becomes something that can kind of get away from you if you start working it the wrong direction. But to me, how it falls on the calendar and why it's different mostly is we're not trying to be a U.S. Open. And I don't know why so many tournaments are trying to be set up, PGA Championship, for example, are trying to set up in such a way that feels like an Open. Um, we're the John Deere of amateur golf in a lot of ways, right? Nice. You're going to need to shoot 16, 17 under. And that may seem like we have, you know, we have Mr. 57 out here, right? If you get it going, you can get it going. Then the golf course is going to be fair. Um, but, you know, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to make birdie and, and, and that's okay. And I think that's the story that golf is missing over the last 10 years, that it's okay that the golf course yields birdies. It doesn't mean that it's easy. You still have to do it, but it's okay that those opportunities are there. And so, yeah, you're going to go play in the Western and you're a great player and you're going to get to the USAM and you're going to go play Oakmont. Yeah. You're going to have to grind on some five footers for par, but here, you know, we want to see you take it deep. We're cheering for you. You know, the golf course is what it is. It's not easy you're going to still have to do it. But if you're ready to do it and you're mature enough to attack where you can attack, the score is out there. And, and, and that's what makes golf fun. Um, and so if you're a player and you're looking at the schedule and you're trying to really showcase an ability, I think you've, you've got to come here to the dogwood and, and you've got to really put a score up because everybody else will. Yeah. Right. And okay, great. You can you can grind it out with the best of them on a hard golf course and shoot even. But there's a difference with that player who can, when the opportunity presents itself, to really make hay. And I think that's the dogwood in a nutshell. I mean, that's who we are. And the more we try to, you know, if we try to be a U.S. Open, it's just not going to work. Um, but that's that's what I love most about it is that it encourages hyperaggression to the maximum. But if, if you watch the final round, and you will this week, is that you'll see those players in the top ten of that leaderboard are playing a very regimented game. They're not taking unnecessary risks. They're playing they're playing the percentages. Well, and I what I love about your what you're saying is how it's basically you're you're encouraging the players to to take it deep and to to really be aggressive. And I'm guessing like with any other great amateur event there's there's a support system behind it not just the tournament staff and volunteers but it's also the membership of druid hills they have to have a complete buy-in as well to support this this championship and obviously they've done so for so many years 
uh, I, I'm guessing the members love seeing these kids come in and light it up as well. I mean, they I, I don't it doesn't sound like they have some sort of well they they're not going to come here and 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 shoot 62 at our club. We're not going to let that happen. It sounds like they they want to see these kids go go wild. But who doesn't, right? I, I mean, no. Well, well, I'm well. No, I'm saying know? that there are cases where there are. You know that there's the memberships that's right. like, oh, that's it's it's not set up right. They're shooting 65, and it's not what it should be. But no, it sounds like the members welcome. I mean, obviously, you know, there's. I know that they have member housing. I know a lot of your members host a lot of the players throughout the week. So it sounds like the membership is another key to the big success success of the dogwood. Also, I don't think. Yeah, there's a. You know, I'm sure. You know, everybody kind of comes up to Joe every now and then. I'm like, oh, Joe, they're tearing apart your golf course. I'm sure you're upset. And he's like, no, why would I be upset? I mean, it's a flawless surface, right? We're still running bent grass in the middle of Atlanta, and they're going to be they're going to be perfect, and they're going to be somewhere between you know 13 and 14 and a half, and and they're going to be perfect, you know. So yeah, you're going to make some putts out there, and that's a great thing. As far as the membership goes, I think I think it's the support that I've gotten received here from the membership, not only you know, for the golf operation as a whole, but for the dogwood, I think is really, it's really special and it's really different. And I know there's a lot of clubs who um, see an event and they say, well, it's taken away the golf yes, course yes. for a week. Right. And, you know, well, we, we pay dues and we're members and why should we give up the golf course for a week? I can totally understand that. I can, I'm not, I'm not telling you that's the wrong viewpoint. I can, be totally understanding of that frustration or that feeling. But I also think that if you talk to the members at Oakmont or the members at Aronimic or Marion, they discuss, you know, hosting major championships as a way to give back and being a member there not only includes fantastic golf experiences, but it also includes the feeling of propelling the game forward into the future and honoring its past. And I think Druid Hills members, and the membership as a whole here has has that emotion towards the event and knows what it means and knows and knows what it can do um, for the city of Atlanta, for Druid Hills, for the players that play here. Um, I think they're aware of that value, and uh, it's just a, it's very exciting to be a part of it. Well, I love hearing that because, as you know, I travel all over the country to amateur events, and I see. Well, you know, fortunately, I see many clubs support amateur tournaments like Druid Hills. You know, I see it at, uh, you know, Palmasia in Tampa for the Gasparilla, Ocean Forest for the Jones Cup. I see it all over the country. Um, those are just the two that popped into my head right away. I don't want to leave anyone else out. But there are the situations, too, like just like you said, where membership is thinking oh i'm losing our we're losing the course for the week and who are these kids but it's so great to hear that they are, are so and I'm, I'm excited to to meet the members just as much as the play on the course i want to see this membership because um you know to support it as well as they are is incredible and then also there is a charitable arm of this of the dogwood as well you have the druid hills golf club foundation which you know there's a the reynolds scholarship is is helping junior golfers with their college tuition this is just, like I said, it's just another aspect of this great tournament where it's maybe it's behind the scenes. It's not the picture of the champion with the trophy. It's not the image of a winning putt. 
but there are uh, there are junior golfers that are going to benefit from this amateur event. I, that was the part I think that I was I was when you know going through the interview process a year ago and, and talking about Druid Hills. You know, I I wasn't aware of the scope of the Dogwood Invitational and the scope of Druid Hills. You know to the point that I am now. And as you know, those things came out, you know, a month or two in the job, I'm like, wow, that's, it's, it's really unbelievable that a golf club has come together and really decided that this is something worth doing. And in 1996, they adopted, you know, the Wayne Reynolds scholarship was formed and it's, it's a significant award. Um, it's $12,000, you know, three thousand dollars a year for a four-year college scholarship and we do it we do one scholarship for um you know a junior it you know who applies essentially we we look to see for a connection in golf um as well as you know fantastic um you know attributes in school on the resume as, as well as, as as well as need you know and we look at those three categories and we have a fantastic board who really has shaped that into kind of its own self-supporting endowment. And, it, and it's really, it's really nice to see that it gives back. And then on the other hand, you, you know, we have $12,000 that we give away also for employees. So if you're an employee of the club or you have a son or daughter and your mother, father works at the club, you know, you are essentially allowed to apply for the scholarship and they review that. And so I think it's just another thing um, that we do that the Dogwood supports that's really special that gives back to the community in a lot of different ways. And we're proud of of our scholarship winners. I mean, to see what they've accomplished in the schools that they go to and, you know, the majors and, and how they, you know, when they graduate. I mean, it's just been really special to see what they go on and do. And, and the goal for the, the Wayne Reynolds scholarship is we want the Wayne Reynolds to be so empowering that when they list their accomplishments on their resume, that the Wayne Reynolds is at the top of it. You know, just like when we list out amateur events in the country, what is holding, you know, what is holding us back? Right. Yeah. Why, why can't we be the Western, right? Why can't we have a field that's as quality as the USAM? And I've, I've seen the membership swell in a way to where, they they're they can't be more excited about what this means for the next 10 years of the dogwood you really can't ask for anything better than that i mean that sounds like the ideal situation to have a membership to have a tournament staff and just have a, a really a community of people that are trying to elevate amateur golf i mean that's you don't hear it as, as enough as you should in, in right now and it's great that uh it's great that everyone at druid hills is so firmly behind the dogwood i'm gonna get you out of here because i know you got work to get to get this tournament <laughs> underway i mean there's an am am there's there's right. i mean there's so many events that go on it's not just uh not just the golf but i, I want to get you on there on this one so obviously the field is set for this year but how do players get on your radar or how would they be able to get in to the dogwood in 2023 um, you know, so we have an opportunity that if you don't get invited, you can certainly go into the qualifier. Um, you know, this year we had 90 participants and we had six spots. Um, and, uh, it's always a good, it's always a good field and, and it's exciting because we get a lot of people who maybe are just 
couple of years out of college golf, or maybe they, you know, didn't quite make the cut there, but there's always extremely competitive field in the qualifier. And so that's always fun. But, you know, to get into the dogwood, you know, we're looking for people who are making the efforts and who are striving. And, and that means all sorts of different things. But if you're waiting, just like everybody, they're like, well, if I had a driving range in my backyard, I, I'd be as good as Tiger Woods too. That ain't the case, right? You know, you can't wait for your opportunity to get your next opportunity. You've got to go attack it and find it. So um, there's there's all sorts of amateur golf events that you can get into around here, whether it's the Chattanooga Choo Choo, whether it's the Southeastern. Yeah. There, are, there are so many great events that, that you can apply for and play and they may not be close by, but if you're showing a resume that, that has a deep sort of, uh, you know, relationship to the fact that you went there and you did that, it may not have been your best finish, but you went to the next one and you did that and you got a little bit better players who've played in a lot of events are always going to rank higher for us than players who are just trying to get started. Got it. Makes sense. It's going to be a good week. It's going to be fun. We got a great field. Um, we're, we're super excited about the AMM. It's going to be this amazing party with our sponsors. Um, and, you know, they're going to get an opportunity to play with the PGA, you know, maybe the future PGA Tour stars and, you know, have that experience of, you know, members still come up to me and they're like, I remember when I played in the AMM and I was playing with Brooks Kepka and he shot, you know, 67 and he hit it far then, yeah, you know, and yeah. it, it's, it's cool to have those experiences and create that for our membership and our sponsors. And, um, I, I just can't be more excited for the tournament this year. I think the golf course is in its absolute best shape it's been in since I've been here. Um, the members keep telling me it's the best shape they it's been in since their 20 years of membership. Oh, wow. So um, we're talking, we're talking just a, a really pure golf experience. Um, and it's going to be great. Well, Gus, I, I appreciate you coming on and actually just kind of giving a little bit of your history and also really kind of, I mean, setting the stage perfectly for the dogwood at Druid Hills. Uh, I'm excited to be there. I know that the membership and you and your staff, uh, just like you said, have laid out just the perfect stage for the best amateurs in the country. So I'll be seeing you in a few days. Look forward to being there. And um, thanks for being here at the back of the range. Awesome, Ben. Thank you. It was great being on the show. We're looking forward to having you. And there you have it. Special thanks to Gus Barchers, Director of Golf at Druid Hills, for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Again, it's going to be a fantastic week here at the Dogwood. Make sure you're following on social media. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com, and we'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.